Sahanavatu Sahanavunatu Sahaviryam Karavavahai Tejasvinavati Tamastamavit Vishavahai Om Shanti Welcome everyone to today's class. We're on the uh, topic of renunciation. It's a bit of a difficult concept to take and get grasp of. So we're going to sort of cover the, what we covered last week a little bit more in detail. So that um, I want everyone to, you know, get a good idea of what it means. So the translation of renunciation means rejection, abandonment, giving up. That's the translation. But what, the way we're discussing renunciation, none of those come into it. So what we're saying is that last week what we said was the world that we experience is nothing but a superimposition of that one Brahman, another name for God. We said the world and everything in it is God. Simple superimposition means you see something that isn't there. But because of our ignorance, we don't see God, we see the world. This is what it's all about. So with knowledge of Brahman, God, we start seeing God instead of the world, even a little bit. We start questioning who made this. This looks so beautiful, this flower. I wonder who designed it. And you can't answer that question. So you say, God. So this knowledge, as it seeps in, you're more aware of that higher being. You're more aware when you see the world, you see God. So last chapter, we said the three yogas. When you practice the three yogas, it reduces your desires, we said. It reduces the bulk of your desires. When you reduce your desires, you develop a sense of detachment, detachment from the world. A renunciation from worldly affairs. So this chapter discusses the state of renunciation. Is there any, any clarifications there? Discusses that state where you feel detached from the world. Not physical detachment. It's internal feeling. So what is renunciation? I'm gonna spend a bit of time to explore what this is. It's really important that we, you all understand before we move ahead in this chapter. So please clarify if there's any misunderstanding. I mean, we haven't finished this chapter, but even make sure that you understand the basics of it. It is not giving up anything. The simple way of explaining is it's growth. It's growing up. We're all grown up here. It's growing up. And the example he gives is 
from being a child, you have grown up to be a teenager. From a teenager, you have grown up to be an adult. While you've been growing up in the process, you have outgrown your childish things, your dolls, cars, and you've taken up teenage things, your bicycle, computer. Then as an adult, you grow out of the teenager things to higher values, adult things, car, job, house, marriage, children. These are higher things. So you've outgrown those childish things, those teenage things. This is renunciation. It's a natural process. As we say, it's growing up. Does that make sense, Megna? Yeah? It's growing up. Renunciation is growing up. Another way of explaining it. Before you came to this class, you may have argued, had differences with partner, family, work colleagues, your boss. You now have a bit of knowledge. What's that knowledge? Anyone? What have you learned about people? Dermish? Everyone has desires and they act upon them. So it's not their fault. It's only how we react to it. You now know ev that everyone behaves based on their vasanas. This is their trait. They cannot help it. A selfish bad person does not know he is selfish bad. So now instead of arguing, you realize it is no point. You accept their traits and change the way you deal with these people. You change the way you deal with that person. You understand his trait or hers. This is growth. You have renounced your previous behavior with one of maturity, with knowledge. Does that make sense? Every time it is winter, you're miserable. I'm cold. When will this weather go away? When will it be summer again? You're miserable for four months. Now with a bit of knowledge, you understand. The world is made of pairs of opposites. There has to be a winter before there's spring. There has to be spring before there is summer, before autumn. So now you accept winter. You understand this is the world. That understanding is growth, renunciation. I'm explaining it in different ways so you, you get the gist of it. So this is life, yeah? This is renunciation in life. You do it, all of you do it naturally. But when we say renunciation in spiritual terms, automatically people think it is giving up everything in life. Going to the jungle or an ashram, living in the Himalayas, walking barefooted, rejecting all material possession, not to enjoy sense pleasure, this is what people think. You agree with me? Religiously, spiritually, this is what people think. Is renounce the world. That is not the case. What the scripture is saying is that renunciation is to be practiced while you're doing your regular duties, your obligations in life. 
It helps you deal with your worldly attachments, helps you deal with your worldly desires. This is what renunciation does. Helps us to develop. By instilling the right values, right relationships in the world. This is how we practice renunciation. So renunciation is a natural growth in life. As we become older, we drop the lower. This is natural. So in the book, in the last class, it says, okay, let's clarify what is what isn't renunciation then? So they said, does it mean not having any possessions, not enjoying sense objects or anything, mean going away into the Himalayas? I said, no, it doesn't mean that. In fact, you can have everything and you can enjoy it. So it's not giving up all your possessions. Does renunciation then restrict you to the amount of possession you have and how much sensual enjoyment you enjoy? No, it's not that either, because this would depend on your capacity, your requirement. Everyone has a different appetite for food. Everyone has different appetite for possessions. Ravi, you may eat twice as much as your wife. Your appetite is greater. So it's not that. So there are two examples given of someone renouncing. Krishna had so many gopis, but he was regarded as a nitya brahmachari, means eternal, permanent celibate. How is that possible? Then there was the other example, sage Durvasa. He ate so much food, but is regarded as a nitya uparvasi, permanently on a fast. He eats everybody's food. Doesn't leave anything for anyone, but he is permanently on a fast. How is that possible? It's an extreme example given. So what this confirms is that the amount doesn't matter. So similarly, it's not what you do that matters, but how you do it. Does that make sense? We're going to go into it more detail now, but does everyone understand up to this point? Not what you do, but how you do it. You can have anything you want. Damesh, you okay? So what we're saying is it's, it's not the act, it's the value we put on the act. Correct? So what was that value put on what? On the act. act or do we yes. Yes. The value you have. We're going to go into more. Um, actually, what you've just said, we're going to now go into in today's class. But does everyone understand that the fact is that it's not giving up? It's not how much possessions you have. It's not what you enjoy. It's got nothing to do with that. Does everyone understand that? Yeah. Great. So I'm going to read the last paragraph we covered last week. Just to clarify one more time. 
In your childhood, you were attached to playthings. You spent your time then acquiring and enjoying toys and trinkets. Now that you're grown up, you no longer value them. You treat them as trifles. You are preoccupied with other attractions. Caught up with your family, with your name, fame, wealth, power. The childhood playthings do not hold your interest anymore. They drop off. You are set to renounce them. What determines your dispassion towards your childhood interests? What ascertains that spirit of renunciation? Carefully analyze the cause. It is not your physical parting from playthings. Not your dispossession or unenjoyment, nor limitation in the possession or enjoyment. You may possess them, even join your children at times, enjoy playing with them, and yet claim to have renounced them because you do not treasure them anymore. They are not worth anything to you. You no longer credit them with any merit. Your interest has risen to greater heights. As you graduate to higher values of life, you automatically drop your interest, value for the lower. You grow out of it. That spirit of inner abstraction or resignation is the crux of enunciation. Thus, renunciation follows one's growth in personality. Growth founded by knowledge established in the higher values of life. So this is a natural process. So renunciation is setting the right value to everything in life. allows you to grow in life by implanting knowledge of higher values of life. So, wherever you are, whatever you are, you can start practicing renunciation. And we're going to say, we're going to today discuss how. What is the highest value in life? You value your partner, your children, greater than the toys you're playing with. That has a higher value to you. Hence, you've given them up. What is the highest value in life? Any idea? Yeah, Tamish? For me, is finding myself, finding the self, and using that as the guide to everything I do. Initially, the guide was getting married, money, wealth. Naturally, it's a natural thing. We all do it. It's a natural thing. So what is the highest is finding who you really are, finding the self. That's the highest they're saying. Any clarifications up to now? Does everyone understand what a basic idea of what renunciation is? It's growth. Deepa, understand? Yeah, then we move on. Anyone not understand, please. I can repeat anything you want, it's not a problem. 
It's just that if I go further up, you'll you'll get lost. That's why, and I don't want to lose anyone at this stage. Everyone clear? Great. Okay. Megna, do the honors, please. The highest value, the greatest mission in life is the discovery of the supreme self within. He who has set self-realization as his goal in life pursues it with faith and conviction, has no attraction for worldly possession and enjoyment. Name and fame mean nothing to him. Wealth and power do not allure him. He does not get enmeshed in family affairs. He understands the ephemeral nature of all that the world offers, be it wealth or enjoyment. If he needs to possess or contact them, he does so with inner abstraction. Others may not recognize his mental resignation towards them. Thus, renunciation could be defined as disinterested interest, dispassionate passion towards the world. The Tamil scripture refers to that state in striking terms, Dungamal Dungi, asleep yet not asleep yet not sleeping. Sleeping yet not sleeping. Asleep yet not sleeping. So what is the highest value in life? It says the highest value in life is the knowledge of the self, which is what we're studying. When you set the goal to this to self-realization then nothing in the world matters. This is a statement they're making. As you go higher, you understand the lower things were meaningless compared to what you have now. So right now you have attraction to worldly things, name, fame, power, wealth. This is what drives all of us. As soon as you get set the goal for self-realization, then all the worldly things, wealth and enjoyment, has no more value for you. This is what they're saying. Just as your dollies and pollies and toys and train set has no value to you now because you're taking up something higher. Similarly, as you take up something higher, which is self-realization as a goal, then nothing like name, fame, power, wealth, anything that attracts you to the world has no value to you. Say so you get a dispassionate passion, a disinterested interest to the world. You are in the world, but out of it. Meaning physically you're in the world, but mentally you're out of it. You may do everything, but have no interest in it. It's a difficult state to understand, but just bear with me. And it said the Tamil word for this state is Tungamal Tungi, asleep yet not sleeping. So how would you behave in life with this idea? Asleep yet not sleeping. How would you behave? Any ideas? How would you behave in the, your worldly activities with those sort of thoughts in your head? 
that's sort of goal. Think about it. Please, Penny. Would it mean that you're just um, going about doing whatever you're doing, but not um, taking in anything or not being affected? By not being affected. Yeah, that's one way. Any other way? You're right, Fatiman. By not being attached to things. Can't, can't hear you, Anikapa. Can you hear me okay? Now we can. Yeah, okay. Anything else? How would you behave? Sleep yet not sleeping. Disinterested interest. So, so what, what, how would that come about? How would that come about? Megna, how would that come about? Paragraph two. Can you read paragraph two? Sorry, I thought you were asking me. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. One takes this supreme stance in life when one sets the right value for the world, considers object and being, action and perception, emotion and thought to be ephemeral, transient. Renunciation is the insignia of spiritual growth, emanating from knowledge of the eternal self. A spiritually evolved person commands a true spirit of renunciation. He runs his family with love and affection, possesses property, enjoys the senses. While he goes through these experiences, his mind remains anchored in the supreme self within. With the mind rooted in the self, he understands the futility of the world, feels that inner dispassion towards the events and experiences of mundane existence. This is how he behaves. As you gain this knowledge of the self, you begin to give the right value understand the value of possessions and experiences in the world. Then you begin to grow spiritually. So what is the right value? What is the right understanding? What is the right value? What is the right understanding of life that you have learned so far? What is the right value? When you take up spiritual development, self-realization as your goal, then you have a disinterested interest in the world. And that comes about by you giving the right values to objects and beings, to everything in the world. You understand everything is impermanent, ephemeral, changing. Nothing stays the same. You're no longer the same as when you started the class 20 minutes ago. You've changed. Nothing is the same. You understand that? 
ultimately understand this world is an illusion. It's Maya. You haven't got to that stage. But as you gain more of this knowledge, you have an idea that this world is actually illusion. It's a Maya. How would you behave if that was the case? Shilavin, how would you behave if that was the case? Your husband, your children, your house, everything's an illusion. How would you behave? I don't need to, you don't need to answer. So you're saying that you live in the world with that understanding. You give the right value. You still run your family with love. Please, after this class, don't say you guys are illusion. I don't want, I'm not interested. You still take your partner out. You still buy them a Valentine's card. You still buy them a Christmas present. You still take them on holidays. Yeah, please don't say I've learned this now. I'm giving up everything. You still enjoy what the world has to offer. But your focus is fixed on the Supreme Self while you're doing all these things. You can't get out of all you have created. This is your own baggage. You have to deal with it. Even if it's an illusion, you still have to deal with it because you're in it. <laughs> Until you get out of it, you're in it. <laughs> you have to deal with it. Cause and effect still functions in the world. Cause and effect still functions. You have to do it. The rules and the laws of the world are still there, even if it's an illusion. But you now understand all these experiences has no real meaning. This is what you understand. While you're doing these things, you understand it has no real meaning. That's the difference. Right now, you got involved. You get attached. You're affected by everything that happens. But when you have this understanding, then you're not as affected. Actor on stage, remember that. Once you have this understanding, you behave like an actor on stage. Best performance, not affected. Because yes. you know you're just acting. See the difference? Does that make sense? It's a bit of a deep thought. You have to think about it. Let me think if I can give another example. Does any clarifications there? Does, does everyone understand the import of that thought? Let me see if I can give you another example. Last night you were dreaming. Whatever that dream may be. You're doing service and sacrifice. You're running a, I don't know, you're running a um, place for children who needed help. Orphans, you're running an orphans place, dealing with orphans. 
you're involved in it, you're trying to help people. There's hundreds of people, children that need your help. You can only provide service for 20 people. You're affected. Where in the dream? Because you want to help everyone. You feel sad, you feel upset. You're affected by it. You see faces of crying children. Then you wake up. Your partner knocks you and wakes you up. Oh, I had a terrible dream. You're no longer affected by everything that was happening in the dream. You've now woken up. You understand it was just a dream. Sometimes, you know, you're, you wake up, but you can go back into the dream. You know, you're sort of semi-conscious. Then you're in control of the dream. You're not affected by it. <laughs> then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> That's different. But now you're awake. You're no longer affected. You know, you have a cup of tea and you've forgotten all those, that duck, everything is gone. So this state that you've woken up into, the same is no different. It just seems more real. See, in the dream, you only, only, it's just an illusion of the mind. But in the waking state now, you've got your physical body, you've got your mind, you've got your intellect, you've got desires, you've got everything. So therefore, it seems more real. And that's why you're more affected. So once you understand that this is also an illusion, it's just like a dream, but more real, and you get this knowledge of that higher, the self, then you behave the same way in the waking world right now. This is what they're saying. It's just a, a broadened example. I'm not sure if all of you can, uh, all of you can accept that. It needs a bit of thinking. But this is what they're saying. Once you understand that this is the case, you're acting, whatever you do, you're not affected by it. It's a deep thought. Does that make sense? Does anyone, everyone understand that? Okay. So that's the stage we need to get to. And it's not that difficult, by the way. It's not that difficult. You're all laughing, smiling. All your troubles will be gone when you get to that stage. Trust me. Magna. Few in the world today have a proper understanding of this magnificent stand of renunciation. The ignoramuses fiend this illustrious state of being by their outward practices. They live in seclusion, discard property and possession, avoid sense contact, put on an act of celibacy. With all that, their minds entertain material and sensual thoughts. They still harbor mundane values. Their appraisal of the world remains high. Such impersonators are far removed from the state of renunciation. They're saying most people in the world have no real understanding of this concept. In fact, they misunderstand this concept. 
They practice renunciation with external practices, such as living in seclusion, alone, having no possessions, wearing an orca robe. So they're acting as if they're renouncing, but internally they still maintain a value for worldly things. They see a nice car going, look at that car, wonder what it's like to drive that. Wish I had one. Externally, they're, they're acting as they've renounced. But internally, they still have these thoughts. They're still thinking of these things. The mind still has desires for them. He may have nothing, but mentally he thinks of these things. This is not true enunciation. Yeah, we're going to just dissect a little bit more to get a better understanding of renunciation. So a person who acts like he's renounced, but is thinking about these things, has desires for these things, is not a renunciate. Is that clear? Okay. So true renunciation is your ability to give the correct value to what the world offers. Understand it's passing trivial nature whilst living in the world and enjoying them. So you're giving the right value to everything. And that comes from knowledge, that comes from growth. Can you read the next paragraph, please? The above bisection of renunciation clears the general misconception of a materialist and sensualist. A person is adjudged a materialist or not by the value he confers upon material wealth, regardless of the quantum he possesses. When he understands material objects as trivial and trifling, as valueless and a potential impediment to spiritual growth. He is no materialist, whereas another who carries much value for material wealth regards it as a prime aspect of life would be a materialist, whether or not he possesses it. Similarly, a sensualist is not judged by the extent of his contact with or enjoyment of sense objects, but by his mental attitudes towards them. When a person places sense objects and pleasures thereof in their proper perspective, realizes their clear limitation, considers them the, hub, the harbinger of future sorrow and misery, and maintains a serenity Sozerity over them. He is no sensualist, even if he were to enjoy them. Whereas the one who considers sensual pleasures as an all important part of life succumbs to the pleasures of the senses would be a sensualist, even if he physically abstains from them. It didn't come across very clear to me. Did, 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 was, did everyone, is it just my computer or was it? Distorted. 
I think I had a bit of background noise going on here as well. That's why. Yeah. Well, did everyone yeah. hear what he said? Yes. Was it clear? Okay, good. So what that paragraph is saying is that a materialist, who's a materialist and who's a centralist? So materialist, essentialist is dependent on what value you give to worldly possessions, regardless of how much you have. A person that regards wealth and possessions as an important part of his life, his whole life, that's all he's concerned about. I must get a new car, I must get a bigger house, I must go on holiday. He thinks this is what life is about. This person is a materialist. That's, only, that's all his goal is. That person is a materialist. Wow, you can have all the possessions in the world. You're a millionaire, you have a mansion, you have three cars, but you have an understanding of its passing nature. There's no meaning in the bigger picture. Also, you understand that it is all to do with desires and it actually comes in the way of your spiritual growth. This person is not a materialist. You may have everything, but you have the right value for it. You understand, so you have everything, but understand the true value of it. It's passing. But a person who doesn't have anything, but thinks that's what life is about, he's a materialist. Person who has everything with the right value is not a materialist. Similarly, essentialist is not one who contacts and enjoys sense objects but his mental attitude towards the sense object. While he's enjoying them, he has total control over them, rather than the objects having control over him. He understands its limitations, that sense objects, sense pleasure, is a source of future sorrow and misery. He understands that, is not essentialist, no matter what he has and what how much he enjoys. He understands the right value. What 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 is the understanding that it will bring sorrow and misery? Why contacting sense objects? You know that it will bring sorrow and misery. Any ideas? He understands that it it's uh, it harbors sorrow and misery. Go. Okay. Because at some point, it's not going to bring you like happiness, right? So uh, you, you enjoy it now, but at some point, that enjoyment is going to diminish. But you need to understand that when that happens, you shouldn't be disheartened and shouldn't be attached to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? He knows that sense objects is not permanent. It's, it will stop bringing you pleasure. Damage. I was going to say, everything has an end. Everything has an end. And if you understand that, then you know that there's going to be sadness at the end. So you expect it and you understand that. You don't expect it, but you understand it. Don't need to expect it. Enjoy it. Yeah. But have an understanding that this could end any time. It doesn't last. 
Also, the diminishing value of sense contact. One day it brings you happiness, next day it may not give you the same happiness. Whatever that may be. Kill. I was just going to say, is it, I think it's also important that when you get to that point that you are unaffected by it, right? So, I don't know, I might buy a new car today and then I enjoy it for the next few months. But when I stop in having that enjoyment, I need to be um, like, you know, equal or like at the same level um, as I was before. So I shouldn't be affected that, oh, you know, my car's old now, I need a new one or I don't enjoy it anymore. So I'm sad about it. You're not upgrading every six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, every three years, they make you upgrade these days, isn't it? So funny, you know, after three years, they, they, they make you think that your car is now old, you need to upgrade. You buy the new one and buy the new one and you, you, you realize the actually the old one was much better. <laughs> but that mental, mentally, they, they, they do that for you. They do that for you. Yeah, Shilabin. Hi, Kevin. It takes you just to point A to B. That's it. <laughs> Once you realize that. <laughs> it's already got the right value for a car. You see, you have to learn from that. That's the right value. It takes it from A to B and that's it. Yeah, so therefore you understand you have all these things, but it can cause you mental agitations. That, that element of happiness is not going to last. It will diminish. It causes your agitation to preserve it. You have lots of things. You have many cars. You have money. You know how much, how much time and mental effort it takes to preserve it? I'm not saying it's wrong. How much interest did I get this month? There's no interest these days, actually. <laughs> so you understand it's not real happiness. So the person can enjoy everything, all sense objects, but has that right understanding is not essentialist. So what is essentialist? What is essentialist then? Essentialist is one who puts value to sense objects, consider it as important in life, even if he has nothing and is not contacting it. He has a value for it though. So it's an attitude. It's an internal attitude that you have towards everything. In other words, an internal attitude you have towards life. My partner, I just married, my partner is beautiful. I've never seen such a beautiful person in the world. And I'm married. You know, 20 years later, that beauty will diminish. <laughs> Be prepared for it. then you will have a good relationship. This is life. Renunciation. Renunciation is the measure of spirituality, the yardstick of spiritual evolution. As an aspirant evolves to the higher, subtler rims of his personality he becomes freed from the lower. 
grosser levels, he no longer identifies with the grosser. He grows out of the desires associated with them, in effect, renounces them. As he reaches the height of spiritual evolution, identifies with the Supreme Self, he attains total renunciation. When his desires completely fall off, I think renunciation, basically your value to the world, is a marker of a person's spiritual development. You can all gauge how you're developing spiritually. As you move up to a subtle level of your personality, you renounce the grosser desires. The movies you watch, books you read, programs you watch, company you keep. Once you experience the deep subtlety of your personality, you don't want to experience the gross things anymore. They don't give you any joy. When I was a teenager, I used to listen to disco music. Is it jazz funk? <laughs> I used to think, wow, this is lovely music. I used to enjoy it. Then, then I heard, I was watching a movie and I heard a piece by Beethoven. I think it was the pastoral suite from one of the movies. I thought, this is such sublime music. I went out and bought a CD. And I listened to that. You could listen to that every day and feel that sense of calm, that peace. You can't listen to disco music every day. You won't get the same pleasure. So once you taste that subtlety of something higher in your personality, you don't enjoy the grosser things. They fall away. Now, I mean, I'm a music fanatic. I love music. I have about 500 classical CDs. I can't listen to any other music because once you taste that higher, you cannot go down. This is what it's saying. It doesn't give you the same joy. When you study this subject every morning, the way it makes you feel the, allows you to Touch the subtle part of your personality. Nothing in the world that you experience can make you feel that way. Nothing in the world can give you the same feeling. So it's saying when you identify with the self, then slowly all your desires start to drop away until you reach complete renunciation. Nothing else matters. See, there's a gross part of your personality, there's a subtle part of the, your personality. If you only experience the gross, you have no idea what the subtle part is. So once you experience that subtle, it's like you eat McDonald's, yeah? You love McDonald's. Then one day, someone takes you to a fine dining restaurant, Michelin star. How can you then enjoy McDonald's? Same thing. That's what it's saying. So, renunciation is the measure of spirituality. What gross desires are you still entertaining? As you go up to the more subtle levels, that is your marker for spiritual development.
And when all your desires fall off, you reach that ultimate state. Any clarifications? Any questions? Today's class is to make you think, evaluate, take stock of your life and give you a direction to move. Nikisha, make sense? Okay, uh, Ravi. The self within, Atma is enveloped by concentric layers of matter, compromising thoughts and desires. As you move away from your divine center, your ego develops. Your thoughts and desires turn grosser. They multiply. And at the furthest point, your ego is maximized. Your thoughts and desires become processed, countless. So this is a marker. Now, what it's saying is the Atman within. We're saying everyone has got Atman within. A human being is spirit and matter. We already know that. Spirit is your Atman, the self, and it's enveloped by your material layers, which is the body, mind, and intellect. Correct? Yeah. And the body, mind, and intellect comprises of desires and thoughts, thoughts and desires. You're with me, yeah? Spirit, matter. Matter is body, mind, intellect, governed by desires and thoughts. So he's saying, as you move away from the self, the Atman within you, and you start going into the matter layers, your ego increases. The desires increase. At the furthest point away from the self, the desires are the greatest in number and the grossest. So the more you identify with your physical body, your mind, intellect, the greater your desires, the greater and grosser your desires. As you move towards the spirit, the self, so you gain this knowledge and you identify with the self, your desires become more subtler, less gross. And we've got a diagram to show you. Ravi, can you show the diagram, please? Do you have the diagram, Ravi? So this is the diagram. So when you gain spiritual knowledge, you start thinking of higher values, your desires begin to reduce and thoughts become better quality. Then with continued daily study and reflection, you begin to drop off your lower desires. As you go up, desires reduce and are of subtle quality, more unselfish. When you identify with the self, then eventually you only have one desire, to realize the self. So you see the grossest maximum desires. As you gain knowledge and you get closer to the self with the knowledge, your desires reduce and they become more subtle. More knowledge, more studying, more identification with the self, the Atman, desires become less subtler. 
then very few, subtlest, then just one desire, self-realization, that's it, you reach that stage. So as you go closer to the Atman, by gaining knowledge and reflecting, the desires start reducing and become more subtle. Thank you, Ravi. Does that make sense? Does that diagram make sense to everyone? Any questions? So that's how it works. As you gain the knowledge, your desires become less and more subtle. The further you go, move away from it, grosser, greater in number. Ravi, next paragraph. Thus, when you live at the lowest level of your personality, your thoughts and desires are gross and numerous. But as you acquire spiritual knowledge, you begin to entertain higher and nobler values. You move up to the higher realms of your personality. Your thoughts and desires improve in quality and reduce in quantity. Consequently, you renounce the lower. Thus, through daily study and reflection on spiritual literature, you identify with the Supreme Self the core of your personality. At that stage, your only desire is to realize the self. All other desires vanish. You reach the state of total renunciation. This is how this subject works. As you absorb more, you become more subtler, of your, you're able to get in, get in touch with more of your subtler part of your personality. Enjoyment is greater as well, by the way, if that's any uh, reason for you to do it. Greater enjoyment as you become subtler. Like I said, McDonald's, Michelin star, greater enjoyment. Same thing, as you go up, greater enjoyment of life. All your emotions, you have a deeper feeling, deeper emotions. Before you see a rose, you pass it by, it's just a rose. Now you stop, you smell it, you look at it. Wow, this looks beautiful. Look at the colors, more subtler. You're in touch with more subtler part of your personality. This is how it works. So you can have everything and be so gross that you don't enjoy anything. So it allows you to be in touch with a part of your personality that you've never experienced. But this does just words. You have to experience it. Only you can do that. So last paragraph, please. Right. Last paragraph. So renunciation would mean delivering everything to the supreme reality, not considering the body, mind, and intellect as yours. Dropping the false idea of your personal self, casting aside your vain, accumulative, and possessive attitude, not arrogating anything to yourself, 
resigning everything to the reality, appropriating everything to the real self in you. You then rise above the little self, the ego. It is your ego that becomes involved, enmeshed in the affairs of the world, obsessed with mundane duties and responsibilities. Rising above the ego and identifying with the real self, you remain above worldly care and anxiety. You remain detached, free from the persecutions of the ego, maintaining that exalted state you plunge into single-pointed meditation, attain spiritual enlightenment. There you have it. Renunciation is appropriating everything to the self. I am the self, not this body, my intellect. And not to me, I. I did this, I did that. You're not arrogating anything to your personal body, mind, intellect. You then rise above your ego. It's your ego that up, gets caught up in the mundane affairs of the world. What did you call me? You said that about me? Who cares? That's your ego. As one rises above the ego, you become detached from worldly affairs. Freedom. You get freedom from your own ego. Freedom from all these mundane things that you get involved with. Freedom from everything. Doesn't everybody want freedom? We're talking mental freedom here, by the way. We're all free in this country, but are we mentally free? <laughs> this is that question. Are we affected, not affected by everything? This is freedom. Everything happens around you. You're stalwart, strong, in control of everything. That's mental freedom. So this is renunciation. We've still got more to go, but does everyone understand so far what renunciation is? It's an attitude to life. And this attitude comes with knowledge. Any questions? That's as far as we're going to go today, because there will be too much bombardment of knowledge in one session. <laughs> you have to take these in small chunks and then think about it. Any questions, clarifications on what we've discussed today on renunciation? Does everyone agree with what they're saying? You can disagree. It made it easy for you. You don't, you don't have to give up anything. Those of you who are thinking of giving up their partners, I'm sorry, you can't. You don't. You can't say I'm moving now spiritually. I'm going to become a sadhu. You can't do that. You have to deal with everything you have. But there must be a point where the search for yourself. 
you realize that the world is illusion and to meet yourself you have to do that you may have to to get rid of your ego i didn't understand the question thomas what, what you're saying that it doesn't mean you have to give up your wife or ring but if that's your true path you may have to that's all i'm saying necessarily because if you develop yourself enough where it doesn't matter you can still develop you can still reach that state once you got everything the fact that you have to leave everything is because you can't deal with everything and reach that state you're saying you need freedom from that to reach that state not necessarily depends on how developed you are you can be in piccadilly circus and be in that state You with me? Some people cannot. They may need to go to a cave in the Himalayas and stay there and reach that state. But not necessarily. This is the point. It's the value we put on it. I was just going to say, like, it's also like we have obligations uh, in life as well, right? So we've taken on certain obligations to your your partner, your parents, your children, and your family, and all of that. So running away from those obligations either wouldn't make sense, right? It's, you probably need to develop more rather than, you know, say that I need to leave those obligations behind. You may leave all those. You, you may leave this place and go there. What, the, what are the what guarantees that I, that will be better for you? There's no guarantees. You may be there and thinking of them and agitated, wonder what they're doing, wonder what troubles they may be having about me. They may not need you, but your mind will still maybe go there if you're not developed enough. Does that make sense? So be in it, sleep, but not asleep. Sleep, but not sleeping. Tunga money, tunga, whatever. I can't remember what it said. In Tamil, Tungamal Tungi, sleep, you're not sleeping. That's how you need to, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you learned a bit of Tamil in class today. <laughs> yeah, Harry. I was saying, um, if you apply renunciation and the understanding of it, it I mean, if you practically, I, I would practically use it, say, for example, at work, where you fulfill what you need to do, but you're not affected when you leave work. With, you don't bring that home with you. If someone comments or makes a negative, they're just reflecting on your work personality as such. And it doesn't affect you. Just As I say, you take constructive criticism, you go away and you develop yourself for the work. As such. Have that understanding. I think Rishi's coming up with a question, Rishi. So the, my, I saw the laptop move, so <laughs> I'm aware of it. <laughs> So people who, uh, you know, look for experiences inter instead of, you know, specifically materialistic things, where do they come under either sensualist or materialistic? So people who are looking for, let's say, you know, I want to go to a place and experience something and or do something, do a certain activity and get the experience. 
does that come under materialistic or sensual sensualistic depends why you want to experience it okay what is the reason for that experience is it to help you develop better as a human being right yeah you may be a strong desire to experience that and you can't eliminate that desire through knowledge so you need to go and experience it so let's take, but that let's, may allow you to move on further okay so let's take saying traveling for example so you can kind of open up your viewpoint on different um cultures, cultures or you know viewpoints of the world would you say that is uh a, what kind of desire is does that come under then it depends on the re- once again why you want to do it the value you give to it is it to help you develop spiritually yeah is it to help you develop in the world materially okay which is fine there's no problem with that because you're we're in the world yeah you need to you need to develop yourself in the world as well even to gain spiritual development you need to be make sure you're set in the world you may say long term my goal is to reach that state of self but in between i have to do all these things i have to go here experience this i have to develop myself i need to get a job i need to do whatever you need to do but your goal ultimate goal is this i realize my goal in life is to get to this stage but for me it's not practical to just think of that i need to go through all the stages of my life to get there yeah cuz uh, that's the that's the kind of issue i'm having cuz when we talk about it we talk about basically the end goal but i guess we don't really talk about that much about the in between in between goals of you know peeling back going from you know the body back we might go from the body to the mind and might even go from the mind to the intellect but the peeling back the intellect and getting to like your deeper self that one kind of eludes me so you have to set your goals but the ultimate driving factor is that i want to develop spiritually and this is what the sages and great masters have said is that this is my end goal all the scriptures are saying this is where you need to aim for in life maybe not this life maybe next life but ultimately you have that goal in the back of your head whatever i do in life my ultimate goal is this so when you set that then everything you do in life it falls in place to to that because that's the end goal okay yeah so you may go do whatever you want to do in life it doesn't matter but it's underlined by that objective by that goal you may even you know um you may even lose that goal temporarily yeah because your personality takes you to a different different stage bit of knowledge and that goal comes back again you with me yeah you may stray away you know how your mom then gives you a smack when your child and don't do that yeah this knowledge gives you a prick what are you doing this is your goal not that you come back in line so you may st- you may still do everything but ultimately is underlined by that goal okay. does that help yeah thanks yeah any other clarifications good question so that's the thought process what time is it You're okay, Shalabin, Vijay?
try to keep it as clear as possible. And you get Patel, I'm gonna stop, I'm I'm gonna stop acting for just today and see what happens. <laughs> don't give him don't give your husband my phone number, yeah. <laughs> Calls from partner from partners. Okay, is everyone all right? Does clear? Think about it. Read. Absorb it, and then you'll have a better foundation for next class. I think this chapter is quite long. I think. Okay, next topic is way to success, Rishi. The next topic is way to success with renunciation. So don't miss that one. Yeah, this renunciation is bliss, which is something I already just really, already covered. So there's still quite a lot left actually on renunciation. So make sure you understand this foundation that we've covered um, today class. So then um, you have a deeper understanding next class. Megna, you okay? Clear? Okay, if there's no more questions,